All right, let's, um, let's open to Proverbs chapter 10. We're going to look at a few verses here in chapter 10 that have to do, as, as, as Mike said uh, in his prayer, uh, dealing with just how to use our words wisely. Uh, words matter. Words are, are very powerful. And so I want to invite you to stand now in honor of, of God's words. And I'm going to read verses 11 through, through 21 here in Proverbs chapter 10. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Let me pray for us. Lord, we give our hearts, our ears, our, our lives uh, to you and your word. Please Speak to us and show us Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, yeah, I, I learned one of these verses in the uh, NIV translation, uh, where words are many, sin is inevitable. Uh, I'm going to try to keep the sermon short. So anyway, all right. Uh, yeah, we're talking about words, right? Lots, lots, lots of uh, these verses refer to what we do with our mouths. And so this morning, I want to I want to talk about magic words. I want to talk about bad words, and I want to talk about good words. Uh, but but let's uh, just look at a few of these verses here in chapter ten that we've covered. Uh, verses like like verse eleven, where it says that the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, and uh, verse twenty. It says that the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. Uh, verse 21 says that the lips of the righteous feed many. Uh, like these are a, a lot of similes and, and metaphors, right? Um, choice silver and uh, the fountain of life, etc. cetera. There's, uh, it's, there's more here, though, than I think just simple literary devices, uh, more than just metaphors. There's a kind of magic that happens when we speak. Because our, our words uh, create things. Uh, our words create realities. Our, our, our words are creational or, or um, transformational. Um, like the word incantation, it's, uh, it, it's where we get the uh, word enchant, right, from incant. Um, words are sort of like this incantation. Good words can be a life-giving fountain, not, you know, like truly helping people heal. Like encouragement isn't just, oh, that's nice for you to say. It really does bless people. 
words can feed many. They can be like choice silver, really, really precious, really, really valuable. There's something more here than just metaphor. Uh, words are powerful, much more powerful than I think any of us really know, really understand. They, they are creation. Um, they, are, they are a reminder of what God did at the beginning of the Bible. Right? God speaks. His words form realities. God God said, let there be light, and boom, there's, there's light. And then every single one of, of the, the days of, of creation, you know, God says, let there be sky, and there's sky, and let there be, you know, the, the land and the sea, and there's the land and the sea, and then let there be the sun and the moon and the stars, let there be the, um, you know, anything from carp to cardinals and lions and lambs and, you know, male and female and men and women, all of this happen because God spoke these things into existence. Like we talk about uh, the, the fancy words are ex nihilo. Just out of nothing. But by the word of his power, reality starts to take shape. Uh, and, and that's what words actually do. Words create things. Now, God, of course, can create physical material things with his words, but we're his image bearers. I can't create physical material things with my words, neither can you, but that doesn't mean that our words aren't reflective of God's words in creating things, creating moods, creating assumptions, creating conclusions, creating um, identities. Like, so, you know, if you're a dad... Or if you're a mom, if you're a parent and you've got a, a, a daughter and you tell her she's beautiful, like, how's that daughter feel? Your words to her, she's beautiful, create a reality for her. What about the little girl who hears from her mom or her dad, you're ugly? What reality does that create? Ideas have consequences. Words have, have power. So uh, listen to, to this quote. Words have a magical power. They can bring either the greatest happiness or deepest despair. They can transfer knowledge from, one, from a teacher to a student. Or words enable the orator to sway his audience and dictate its decisions. Words are capable of arousing the strongest emotions and prompting all men's actions. So says... Sigmund Freud, I mean, he had some, some wonky ideas about, you know, therapy and counseling and, and so on, but amen to this. Amen to this. Words are incredibly powerful, even, even sort of magical, right? They, they create things, they transform things. They, they make things and they change things. So, um, okay, we were talking about metaphors and similes. Here's another literary or grammatical Word. Do you remember this word, onomatopoeia? Like what, it was, I don't know, eighth grade, ninth grade, I remember learning about onomatopoeia. That's when a word sounds like the thing that, it, that it's talking about. It's like words that reflect reality. So like hiccup, you know, sounds like a hiccup. Uh, and cuckoo, and splat, and pow, bang. You know, those are all onomatopoeic words. Those words sound like what they are, but words don't just imitate the reality, they form it and they shape it. They smooth off its edges or they break off and make jagged pieces. Words are like that. 
Words, words and, and the way that God uses words, we use our words, and they create things, and they shape things, and they change things. Jeremy uh, Vogan sent me a, a link this week, and it reminded me of something I had read in Eugene Peterson, brilliant author and pastor uh, who's with the Lord now. But uh, in one of his books on pastoral ministry, listen to how he, he describes how a pastor views his office, right? Like a misnaming replaces pastor's study with office, thereby further secularizing perceptions of pastoral work. How many pastors no longer come to their desks as places for learning, but as operation centers for organizing projects? The change of vocabulary is not harmless. Words have a way of shaping us. If we walk into a room labeled office often enough, we end up doing office work. First, we change the word, and then the word changes us. Words are creational, they're transformational, they're, they're magical, right? Um, that's the power of words. Uh, and there are bad words and there are good words, right? So let's talk about some bad words. No, I'm... <laughs> I'm not going to say any bad words, but the bad use of, of words, okay? So you've got like verses 11 and 14 here in, in Proverbs 10. Uh, the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So maybe in concealing the violence, like the, the wicked person might, might drip honey, but his or her intentions are to entrap and to injure and to, to harm like concealing violence, concealing even anger and aggression. Um, verse 14 says that the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Uh, just so you know, there's a couple of categories here. The wicked person is the one who intends to do harm, like the fool is just sort of an ignorant person, isn't really aware of the consequences of his or her words. Nonetheless, it can bring ruin. Our words can, can conceal violence. Our words can bring ruin. We've got to be aware of what's coming out of our mouths and the power to, to either bless or to curse, uh, the, the power to heal or, or to harm. I remember reading and, and, and catching, like the Proverbs are vivid. That's, they're, they're, they're brilliant, right? Wonderful imagery. And I remember uh, one proverb that sort of goes into this whole category of, of harm and, and bad words, or even mad words, but like a madman, a crazy person, um, you know, throwing firebrands and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only kidding, right? It was just a joke. You know, don't, don't take it so seriously. No, words are serious. Words have tremendous power. For, for good or, or for bad. So how much of what's, well, let's just, we're in church, so we can talk about sin, right? So how much of what's sinful about us uh, gets expressed through our actions versus our words, or, or even our thoughts? Like we sometimes talk about sin in those three categories, thought, word, and deed. And if you had to kind of like make a guess of in what category do we sin more often? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying anything that I think is, is hard and fast, but it's just something, it's sort of an idea experiment. Like, so we're, we're, we tend to describe sin in terms of our actions, you know, don't commit adultery and don't steal and we'll, 
You know, I haven't sinned today. I haven't hurt anybody. I haven't punched anybody. I didn't kick the dog. But, but, but sin is much more complicated than that. That's just the external manifestation. But there are words that can be sinful and even thoughts that can be sinful. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the actions are the, like the, the least um, common places where we sin. Our thoughts and our words, though, I, I don't know where to place them. I, I don't know which comes first. At, at least look at, at some of the inventories uh, that you read in the New Testament, especially Paul in Colossians 3, for instance. Listen to how he's describing what we're to, to, to put off and then what we're to put on, and how many of these kinds of bad behaviors are actually our words. He says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed and the knowledge after the image of its creator. There's, there's, there's a strong case, and this is just one example of the inventories of like our, what, how our sin is manifest. Like it's just oftentimes what comes out of our mouths. And so our, our, our solution, our sort of natural inclination is to think, well, I just need to, to watch my words, right? I mean, I need to tame my tongue, as James would put it. But that is a whole lot easier said than done, especially when we realize it's not just like harnessing the tongue. It's actually harnessing the heart. Jesus explains that, that it's the real issue is, is not what comes out of my mouth, it's what comes out of my heart. He says that what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And, and this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Look at um, Proverbs 10 again. Look at verse 20. Here in our passage, it says that the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little worth. Um, Look at those two lines, and and one of the things about the, the Proverbs is that they're couplets, right? So the first line and the second line, nine times out of 10, uh, relate to one another. Uh, they either echo one another or they contrast with one another, whatever. But at first glance, you look at verse 20 and you go, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little worth. What's the, what's the connection? I mean, righteous and wicked, all right, there's a contrast, but the tongue and the heart, oh. What comes off of my tongue comes out of my heart. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver because that person's heart is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth, meaning what's going to come out of that person's mouth is of little worth as well. Do you remember, uh, I'm, all right, I'm, a, I'm a Tolkien nerd, you know, unapologetic about that. And uh, in the, the movie version, if you saw the movies, uh, you remember the last movie, The Return of the King. Uh, Frodo and Sam are on this, you know, special ops covert mission to get to Mount Doom to try to, like, sneak the ring uh, and destroy the ring. And Aragorn and Gandalf and the, the free people of Mordor, they, um, their only hope, they don't even know if, like, Frodo and Sam are still alive, but they know that they need to buy them time if they are. 
And so they do this sort of suicide errand to the Black Gate. They, they do a full frontal offensive against the Sauron and the evil of Mordor. Uh, and as they, are, as they uh, you know, are at the gate and as they're you know, getting ready to attack, the gate opens and out comes the mouth of Sauron. And uh, the movie does a great job of, of depicting him. But here's how Tolkien describes him. A tall and evil shape mounted upon a black horse. The rider was robed all in black and black was his lofty helm. Yet this was no ring wraith, but a live man. His name is remembered in no tale, for he himself had forgotten it. This, uh, this figure who comes out to parley with, you know, Aragorn and Gandalf and taunt them, and, um, you know, he only speaks what Sauron tells him to say. He is the mouth of Sauron. He doesn't, his words are not independent. His words are completely dependent on his master. He, he, he doesn't even have his own identity. He doesn't even have a name. He is just the mouth of Sauron. And, and, and all the filth and nastiness that comes out of his mouth, uh, this, the, in the movie, he's got this helmet that covers his entire face except his mouth. You can't see his eyes. You can't see his nose. You can't see his, his ears. All you see is his mangled, menacing mouth spewing forth just lies, mockery, evil. And all he's doing is speaking on behalf of the source. So when, when what comes out of our mouths are lies and insults and evil, that's our heart speaking. That's our heart speaking. The heart is the master of the mouth. And the mouth only says what the heart wants it to say. And the mouth tells us what is in a person's heart. And those are the bad words. Those are the, the mad words, like the words we say in our anger and, and when we want to do violence, when we want to hurt people with our words. And that's what's so sad about those words, right? You know how um, when you're in a conflict with somebody, you kind of always want to have the last word? You want to get in the last word because uh, you want to be proved right. You, you want to be vindicated. You want to put your adversary in their place. Do you know there's actually something godlike about that? We're not, we're not doing it right, but it's, it's the image of God in us. God gets the last word. God always gets the last word. We're in a conflict with God. Our, our sinful nature is in conflict with heaven. And, and, and God gets the last word in our conflict. Now, he could prove himself right. He could vindicate himself. He could tell us as sinners where we should go. But is that what he does? What's God's last word to us in our conflict with him? Hebrews tells us. It says that long ago, uh, many times in various ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
And in these last days, the last word, right? In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he has also created the world. So what must it have been like for God the Son, God the Word, Jesus, to come and walk our noisy, shrill streets? What was it like for Jesus to hear people yelling and screaming at each other, cussing at each other, insulting each other, trying to get the last word in? What was it like for Jesus to hear people yelling at him, cursing him, trying to get the last word in against him? Jesus endured our, our, our bad words and our, our bad hearts. And, and it goes like this. Matthew's account tells us that the soldiers, uh, had, after they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes and led him away to crucify him. And then after he was crucified, those who passed by derided him. And so also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him. And even the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. And Jesus is just taking on all of this verbal abuse, all of these bad, mad, sad words. Jesus suffered for our bad words and our bad heart. Look at verse 12 in Proverbs 10. And this tells you why he did that. Because hatred stirs up strife but love covers all offenses. Jesus, in, in, when he was receiving that verbal onslaught, uh, the, the taunting, the mocking, the deriding, when he's receiving, he's on the receiving end of all those bad, mad, hard, sad words, he is actually doing what is necessary to forgive us for those bad, mad, sad words that reveal our bad hearts. And, and in, and in the, the gospel of Jesus dying for sinners, for, for the sake of those who put our faith in Jesus, we are forgiven on the basis of what? God's declared word. Justified. Those whose faith is in Jesus to take away our sin, to make us new creations, to, to forgive us and, and, and find us righteous so that we can go to heaven when we leave this sad world, we are accounted righteous, not on the basis of my good words and my good heart. I, I don't have them. I can't bring them. I, I, don't, I don't possess them. But on the basis of Jesus' good words, Jesus' good heart, Jesus' good life, and because God declares that all who trust in Jesus are forgiven and are justified and are as if they are without sin, that word creates a reality, a new reality for us. We're clean. We're spotless. We're, we're without shame. We're without condemnation. We're right in his eyes. Because he says so on the basis of Jesus. 
So God pronounces our pardon. He declares it to be so. Justification is kind of an incantation. It's magic based on God's good words, his good news, his gospel. And that could be true for any of us, any of you who trust in him. He declares you his son. He declares you his daughter. He declares you his beloved. And then he changes us. He creates, he makes a new creation and then he, he, he shapes us and transforms us, right? Jesus made it possible for us to hear the glad words of the gospel. The benediction of God. That's a word that we you know, got from Latin. Benediction. Good word. Like we send you out every single week under the banner of God's benediction, under the blessing of God, not the curse. We need that blessing. We need to hear those words throughout the week, and then we need to come back each week and be reminded of those words so that we know we are new creations. We are no longer the old. We are the new. And, and we have God's blessing through Jesus. Uh, Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Like there's the allusion to creation, and there's that declaration before him. Before, by his word, before him, we are blameless. We are holy. It reminds us of what happened when God created everything. God spoke reality into existence. God made the man and the woman, and he blessed them. We were made to live under God's blessing, to hear his good words. You and I were made to pass on that blessing. Our mouths were made to bless, not to curse. If we had a thousand tongues, like a thousand mouths, we couldn't bless enough. You know, the God who saved us and, and, and the people that he's put around us. Our mouths are here to, to bless us and to bless others. Like, um, uh, well, they bless us. God's genius makes our mouths multifunctional, right? We eat and we drink with these mouths, and that's a blessing to us. But we smile with our mouths, and we kiss with our mouths, and we speak with our mouths. Why? To bring blessing. To bring blessing. Words are designed to blessing, but how do we know what to say? What should come out of our mouths? Well, a great outline is just in the, the word himself, the word incarnate. God, God tells us that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we've seen his glory, glory of the only one of the Father, full of grace and truth. God's word came to us full of grace and truth. Our words need to be full of the same, of grace and and of truth. Words of blessing that are full of grace and words of healing that are full of truth. And that's where we need to be careful with the truth sometimes because the truth it doesn't always feel great. The truth doesn't always feel like grace. And sometimes people can use the truth like a knife to cut you, to hurt you. somebody who loves you can use the truth like a scalpel to heal you. We'll talk more about that next week when we talk about wise warnings, we're talking about wise words today, but 
Actions, you know, as they say, speak louder than words. There's a proverb. Um, but the words help us interpret the actions. We need words. We've got to have the words. The words shape us and change us. Like our words, as we've looked uh, here at Proverbs 10, our words, you know, God wants us, our words to be a fountain of life. God wants our words to be choice silver, like valuable. People would want to hear your words because they know that your words will feed them and bless them. Is that what comes out of our mouths? What does he want us to create with our words? He wants us to construct things, not destruct things. He wants us to bless, not to curse. He wants us to build up, not to tear down. And I remember in Ephesians 4, it says no... Uh, uncorrupt, no, no corrupting talk should come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building others up. Think about what's going to bless somebody before you say whatever you're going to say. What's going to help them? It goes to say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Give, give some thought to this. I mean, imagine the new heaven and the new earth. Do you know that, that some of our words, some of the words we hear, even some of the words we use today, will become extinct? Like there are words that Bill Landis will never hear again. Is there any place in the new heaven and the new earth for words like ugly and stupid, loser? Obviously, we could go on a long time with the category of words that will be extinct in the new heaven and the new earth. Why not live the life now that we will live as best we can, as best we can approximate it. Let's speak now the way we will speak in eternity. Let's speak God's words to those around us. We looked at this last week, Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart right? In your heart, on your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. And basically, I, I can't say it any better than John Younts did in his little book, Everyday Talk. He says, loving God means many things, but perhaps most profoundly, it means loving him so much that you speak of him when you walk along the road and when you sit at home when you lie down and when you get up, are we speaking God's words? Are we sharing them with one another? Are we, are we giving God's promises to one another? Are we encouraging one another in God's words? And are we, at the end of the day, are we, are we inviting those around us to hear God's words, to hear his last word, his final word, Jesus? our neighbors and the nations who need to hear about the God who has the last word and offers us his forgiveness, his blessing, his benediction. We are his ambassadors, his mouth 
to our neighbors and to the nations. Let me pray for us. Lord, we give you thanks for your word to us in Jesus. And here we are again, another Lord's Day here in the, the time of Lent. As we're trying to renew our repentance and to renew our faith and to look more and more to Jesus, the one who's full of grace and truth, the one who tells us that the final word to us is that we're justified. All who put our faith in Jesus are forgiven. Lord, would you make us new creations and continue to shape us through your word. Lord, let us hear your word clearly. Let us run to your word. Let us speak your words and invite others to be shaped and changed and made new creations too. So we thank you for your love and your kindness and your blessing.